talk us through those 80 minutes. No, we prepared to win. We knew that we were here to make history. The whole week, that's what we told ourselves. And you know what? I'm so proud of the boys. Absolutely humbled. And the guys came out. They played with enormous testicles. And we absolutely did it. Fantastic effort. I'm such a happy captain. Welcome, one and all, back to the Dropped Kickoff once again. We are playing catch-up mode. It has been a while, but we are back because we have a hell of a lot of rugby to talk about. Um, joining me this evening is one and only Nathan Williamson. Hello, Nathan. How are you, mate? Uh, yeah, I'm doing well. It's been a bit of a hectic couple of weeks, but you know what? Off an Australian win, I couldn't be better. Oh, amen to that. We've also got uh, Jack here on the line as well. Jack, how are you, mate? Going good, mate. Stuck down here in lockdown in Sydney, but plenty of rugby to watch. Yeah, which is a great thing. And then completing our lockdown uh, guess, we've got a man who's been uh, he's been due to come back to the drop kickoff. Nick Hartman. Nick, how are you, mate? Hey, mate. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Lockdown and uh, Wallaby's been doing amazing things to podcast attendance, so <laughs> I'm back. Yeah. It's a, it, I will say that uh, the, the report card boys have, have been going hard and strong the last couple of weeks, and we've, re- we've realised we, we need to up our game because, before you know it, we might even have the green and gold boys back once again. Still waiting on it. Um, but we're, we're going to dive in with, pre- with pre-prepared questions this time, no Q&A, um, and we're going to take it in a style very similar to the, uh, to the green and gold rugby show. Our questions will be, first of all, our thoughts um, on the France series. Second, our thoughts on that Corabidi card. is uh, Was it right? Was it wrong? We'll have a discussion about it there. Question three, what is the one thing that gives us some confidence going into the Bledisloe and the series against the All Blacks? And then question four, we're going to dive into the rugby outside of the Wallabies. Um, can the can the Wallaroos, who have now got a new series coming up against the Blackferns, do we think they can get their first ever win? And then finally, question five, uh, how do we think that both the Sevens teams will go in Tokyo? Uh, we're recording this on Wednesday night. The Even though the Siri, the Olympics officially launches on Friday, the soccer's already going, a whole bunch of other sports, the softball's already going. So get into your Olympics as well, and we'll uh, examine those teams as well. But first up, guys, let's talk about this France series. Jesus Christ. It was a... Uh, an absolute thriller with only, I think, with only three points separating the teams come come at the end of it. Um, Jack, I'm going to throw to you first, mate. Um, how are you feeling after the end of the series? Uh, do you have, like, how did you not have a heart attack? What were your thoughts? Yeah, it was it was pretty hectic, those those three games. Only only three points separated the whole series in the end. Um, how good is our weekday test matches? Just yeah. that calendar was actually really good, especially... Coming in that second game, um, where I couldn't wait for the for the boys to get back on the paddock after that loss, um, yeah, it gave me gave me heart palpitations all three matches. <laughs> I was I was on the couch screaming. I, I was getting getting so sweaty, I had to take my shirt off. I was just in in absolute fits and starts. Um, they played well. They they managed to uh, pull it out at the end, but yeah, it doesn't doesn't give me any confidence um you know going going through i thought um we sort of had the talent and we didn't didn't live up to what we could have done so hopefully a few more training sessions before the uh the bladder flow yeah interesting you mentioned on that and and nick i want to ask you about about this a little bit as well like everyone was talking that this oh yeah it's 
it's not it's it's an indication of how bad the Wallabies are because we're playing a B side French team or a C side French team. Do you reckon that argument actually holds any sway at all, or do you think it was just, or is it a case that that we've got a long way to go? What are your thoughts? Uh, well, I mean, my thoughts are whenever the Wallabies play poorly at the start of an end of at the start of the season or the end of the season, it's either they haven't gelled, they don't know each other. Or at the end of the season, it's so, so tired, and it's like a reverse put on the French. Oh, the French played well because of their systems. You know, they're used to their sim- uh, systems at the end of it. Um, whereas it, it was the start of the season, but like, oh, the French are playing well because they're so, um, you know, fresh and fit after their season. Um, but um, I, yeah, I, I just I really don't know. It's funny. It's every every season the Wallabies look the same. You know, they. Look like it's they've seen they're seeing each other for the first time, yeah. um, and, and it's just like why does it keep fucking happening? And then you know people are like oh it's fucking Checker or whatever, and then Checker goes and you know Rennie came in, and it's the same same stuff. So it's just I don't it's a bit baffling. Mm. I really don't understand why. I mean there was that at that uh, quote or whatever floating about Rennie said you know half these guys aren't fit enough. Um, so it might be that, and it might be that every other uh, rugby organisation in the world has figured out that we've got to have um, centralised uh, sort of rugby playing systems and this and that, you know, the New Zealand model. But um, I don't know. I think the French are probably just a great side and they know the way they want to play and they know how the players fit into that system. Um, and despite the fact that it was a, a, a B side, I think, you know, um, it, it certainly wasn't the Wallabies' A side either. Yeah, I think that's something we've got to remember. And a lot of the kids are young. Um, you know, Lalesio, uh, the back three, Banks and Wright, except for Betty. Um, you know, Darcy Swain's young. So I don't know. It was really rusty. <laughs> and the French team were quite poor, actually. I think you know, so much rustiness on there and. Um, yeah. So I, yeah, I, I, don't, I just don't know, Nick. It happens every year. Mm. I don't yeah. know where to point the finger or what's going on. <laughs> it's, um, it's, but... it's, no, it's no coincidence that we've had, you know, Super Rugby, um, you know, champion-winning coaches, um, some of the some of the best coaches in the world, and we haven't had, we haven't been able to get up to that next level. So that gives you a bit of an indication of of where we're at. I would say it's maybe the cattle and not the coach. Yeah, there was one thing that I thought that was really positive, though, that did not to because obviously we this is a series win and there has to be some positives that I reckon we can potentially take out of it. And there was the one thing that I did like was I think in the past we've accused the likes of checkered sides of playing rope-a-dope rugby, um, which while I say hasn't really been shaken off, what was really positive was that there was just a bit a bit more ticker, I thought, um, especially in that last game. Um around the fact that in a back-against-the-wall scenario, you'd have so many instances, like you've got a player who's sent to the bin and you're playing with 14 men for 75 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, there was no, there was always a bit of fight. There was always yeah. a bit of... There was always, like, there was always a determination there and a desire to turn things around, um, which I thought was really... Which I thought was really, really impressive. And, you know, at the end of the day, that that just that ticker gave them the series win... Um, they were men. I thought they played extremely well with 14 men on the paddock. Nathan, like I'm going to bring you in here. 
Um, what's your thoughts on on this? Do you reckon are you as as pessimistic about about where the Wallabies are standing right now, or do you feel like this is after the, a couple of false starts, especially that first, you know, thirty minutes of that first test? Do you reckon we finally started to gel come near the end? I feel like it's as Nick alluded to. It's tough to sort of tell. I mean, let's face it. That's as much as Tate and Noah really showed out. They're probably not your first choice halves, and probably weren't Rennie's first-choice halves coming into this game. But I think what you can take out of that, which was really good to see, is a Wallaby side that knows how to win ugly. I think that was missing in, in 2020. I mean, yeah. three draws in, what, six games? Like, the amount of times you couldn't close a game out or would fall away due to fitness. I think, especially that third test, it's not a win for the rugby purists, but I feel like it was a win for... I'm going to sound weird, but for your more sporting purists, because mm. that that whole narrative behind it of a 14-man side who should have been out of it after five minutes, as you said, backs the walls and kept fighting and found a way to win. I think yep. that's the more important thing that's come out of it. It's not how we've looked good. It's how we've found ways to close games out. I think that's the that's a massive thing that's come out of this sort of series, even though, let's face it, it was probably, I think they'll even admit themselves, a lot of the performance from those that were not named M. Hooper across the three-game three, three game series weren't at their peak. Mm. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. And I think, you know, it, it, the one thing that I that I think also was good, it was as, a, as an actual, even though we can, we can talk about the, where the Wallabies are at and everything like that, I can't. I, I I think we can agree that it was a bit of a. I think it was a real shot in the arm for people mm. in in terms of just actual spectacle. Um, I think they. I think the end. The, yeah. Back me up on this, Nathan, on the final numbers. Um, but that nine hundred and sixty thousand were tuning in for the final, the final stages of that game, which was the the highest attend the highest watched sporting event. Uh, outside of a highest like top five events of the week, was it like? I think that's that's your peak number. That was the what it peaked to. I don't know. There's a difference of how they sort of technically do the number, but I think that it ended up when you account in regional and met, metro ended up being a, just under seven hundred thousand. I think, mm. which was, I think it was fifth overall for Saturday, the best out of any non-news program. Um, more than the three league games combined, and also wow. the pre and post games both made that top fifteen for free to air. So, I mean, they're they're real, and that's not even including any stand figures. Which, if you yeah. look yeah. at any of those SMH journals when they talk about it, I've talked about it online, have suggested it could be upwards of two hundred thousand. I know I watched the first two games through stand, so I'm sure a lot of ours will be. Like it's it's really positive numbers, and I mean. Let's not discount what just winning does to that market. Instead yeah, of having yeah. these people that can be like, well, no, same old wobblies. The Cad- the Cadbury guys have melted at the last minute. Like, <laughs> it's it's really positive stuff. Yeah. I, uh, oh, I oh, want to know, though. I want to know, was that peak audience uh, just before Corabetti got red carded? I don't know how many people <laughs> threw someone at their TV. <laughs> oh, off. close. I think, yeah, the, so the 20 minutes after the red card, I, I wanted to turn it off, but I'm yeah. glad I stuck with it. Like, okay, so on paper, it was fantastic for, you know, a sporting audience. It had, as you were saying, it had that narrative. It had, you know, an incredible fight back from the Wallabies um, after going down to the red card. Um, so, yeah, it, it is a great positive for rugby and, and to get that many eyeballs on, on, on rugby with the new channel is, is fantastic. 
I think they're also helped by the fact, like it was on a Wednesday. I mean, Sydney was in lockdown. Yeah. I mean, that helped. But also, you know, in the NRL, there's just been so many blowouts. And actually, there was this thread. Um, oh, I think it was Andrew Webster on, on Twitter, the chief sports writer. Um, we just had this thread about, oh, you know, what a crap game this is. And all the comments were like, I can't believe it, but I'm watching rugby union for the first time, you know, from all these leagueies. Because, you, like, you know, there it's like blowouts every second game. Um, yeah, I know the so I think that was a help, but, you know, yeah, it is positive and it was a great game. And also the fact that it was France, you know, this bit of, oh, okay, like, this is a bit international, this is a bit fancy and cosmopolitan. I think for most Australian fans, that's not really like a common experience, you know, because, uh, you know, NRL is playing Tonga or Papua New Guinea and cricket is playing Sri Lanka, you know, it just doesn't have that pull. Do you know what I mean? Ba- like, getting beat by West Indies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I think, you know, that France was involved too. It was like, oh, okay, you know. Mm. Um, is, yeah. Look, this it's is international. It is, it is, and I think it's hopefully it bodes well because I think there's there's been a lot of positives out of that uh, out of that since we have signed with Stan, and I reckon and I'm really curious to see what the the overall final numbers were. Look, if and if if Stan and Nine are really happy with the start, then I think that that bodes well. But we've been we've been dancing around this topic, and it's been a topic of of a very intense discussion since the end of the of the well during the the, the game and afterwards. This this Corabetti card. Um, I think we're all a little bit biased here that we that we thought it was a piece of shit. Um, but now we are separate from the emotions here um, on this uh, <laughs> from the from the heat of of the middle of the game. Let's have a look at this thing, Nick. What are your what are your thoughts uh, on this card? Do you reckon it was warranted at the time, or do you reckon that it was more a case of just being way too harsh on a on 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 Corabini? Um, well, you think about the other red cards, like they had uh, Sonny Bill Williams on the, the coverage. Um, Sonny Bill Williams, by the way, <laughs> struggles to get a sentence out. And they asked him about this and and he, yeah, he struggled talking about it. But obviously he got red carded against the British and Irish Lions. Um, but his hit was a lot different to Cora Betty's. Um, I think he elbowed the guy in the head. Mm-hmm. Um, but Cora Betty's was... Like it was a good hit, and I think everyone, I can probably say this for everyone, you saw that, was like, yes, you know, like, smashed him, you know, getting, mm. out, of, getting out of your couch, clapping at the TV. Um, and for them to pull it back for the red card, like, it was so obviously not a head-high shot. <laughs> I, it was, it's a ridiculous, ridiculous decision. <laughs> it, it just, it seemed like people that just kind of, boxed themselves into a corner, like found that one angle that looked like he yeah. kind of clipped him and then just couldn't find a way to get themselves out or they'd just gone too deep and was like, well, now that we've seen this, we can't kind of ignore this even though nine out of ten cameras tell us otherwise. I think they just – they almost – I know it's going to be harsh and I'm not going to accuse any referee of doing this in the first place, but they, almost like they looked at it a bit too pessimistic and just thought, all right, let's try and find something that's – wrong with this instead of saying right there's mm. mitigating factors it's the first contact shot and it's gone up and it's kind of worked through the process yeah it's it's I, one of those things it's tough tough during the during that that hate of the moment when you you've essentially blocked yourself in instead of having a judiciary that's had 48 hours to look at it 
has probably has more angles than they had available to him. So, mm. I mean, it's a it's a it's a tough gig. Mm. Yeah, it is. Like I feel like the the one agreement that we can have here is I don't I don't think I don't want people to 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 everyone takes pleasure in putting the boot into the ref, and I feel like you're it's it is. It, when you're in situations like this, where it is a where it is a call that can potentially be very tight, and but also has potential uh, significant repercussions for the game as an entertaining product, uh, it is very difficult. And also player welfare. Um, so I, I, I feel as, as like it was as well, it was good I, hit as, as someone it who's hit, it's hit, you know, tough. it's mm. so tough. Yeah, he folded, he folded the bloke. Yeah. And then saying like, "Oh, he ran in." It was like, "What else?" Is yeah, going? it was a kickoff. I think the, <laughs> of course, I think he the, ran from distance. Uh, um, yeah, I think the fact that they had to replay it and find an angle and go through it about a billion times suggests that it probably wasn't as clear and obvious a red card. So that mm. probably, you know, that says something about how they made the call. I think I haven't I haven't watched the replay. I couldn't I couldn't bear to, but it, <laughs> I, I, I kind of remember that. Like maybe like Ben O'Keefe was sort of on the fence, and the and the the, the guys actually yeah. talked him into it. So I don't know. Yeah, well that's a that's a thing I think uh, the rugby report card guys were talking about was uh, you know the the TMO never sort of challenges the ref. Mm. It's never like nah 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 it's not a red card you know it's always like oh yes that's what I see yes yes it, um, yeah it often comes it down does, to it always seems like yeah that yeah, they, it, if a TMO gets brought into it that, that's kind of like well. I'm now in this, I've now essentially halted play. I've got to have some important thing. Otherwise, I've just wasted everyone's time. <laughs> yeah. I think it often comes down to language. So in typical fashion, um, I got into an, a Twitter argument, which is the start of every good conversation, um, with, a, with a gentleman by the name of, of Adamson Warren. Um, and when I was compl- when I was uh, bitching and moaning about this, um, and he is actually a ref, and we actually ended up having a really... Uh, interesting discussion about the actual tackle um he agreed with the red card call and he basically made the argument that corabetti would had the time to lower his body height um and essentially then uh he, he did that he, and that essentially that he had the time to lower his body height further and that he never made the attempt to go low at any point in terms of his movement and that he intended to stay high throughout. Um, even though he agreed that Jen Locke's reaction was completely comical, grabbing the wrong side of his face and being an idiot trying to milk the penalty. Um, and he basically said, "It's I think it falls on, on MK, he should have just gone lower. And instead, I argued the point that there was also a, a question of mitigation, which I think is what the end decision came down to, that Corabetti was committed to the tackle and at the time was coming in at a reasonable height, but Genlock leaned into it, which took the tackle from not being dangerous to potentially being dangerous. And that there, therefore, by extension, there is an, uh, a continuation or a, an em- there should be more of an emphasis. And this kind of leans back into a point that you mentioned talking about um, the idea that there was a view of pessimism being aimed towards Corabidi doing something wrong. But I feel like with a tackle, there should also be as much emphasis on the attacking player as well, um, because Genlock leaned into it and then made it dangerous, um, and it and it should be viewed in a similar way to uh, what happened with, say, Karevi at the World Cup when he was sent off for palming the Wel- a Welsh player in the face, and he was the attacking player, 
or similarly to what led to the, Fre uh, the French, the Fr France's first try only a couple of minutes later when Tate McDermott got elbowed in the neck, um, leading to the French winger scoring a try. So I felt like that there was a, a discrepancy there um, and that the mitigation would have at least uh, put it back to a penalty or a yellow, um, which I thought was a really interesting argument. Um, and I think leans into the question of, of because it is a two-person contact, are both people liable? And and does that the case? Is it a case that it often falls on the defensive player more than anything else? And do laws like this in inadvertently punish uh, def a defensive player for making the tackle, but potentially an off an offensive player could make it just as dangerous? But if you like, if you step above that whole argument, whether he could have done this, could have done that, I think the lawmakers have to have a look at it and go, you know. Like, people use the word product. I hate using the word product, but rugby, as a good, entertaining game, what can we do to fix this? One thing is that 20-minute red card. Another thing is, mm. like, you know, do they look at all the tackles in the game? Does someone go after the game? Like, even to what you're talking about with Karevi thing, um, Christy Doran on Fox Sports found a view of a Welsh player doing the same thing to an Australian in the same game that mm. didn't get called up. So it's just, like... It's just a mess, you know. Why can't they just side him and have a hearing after the game, you know, as they do instead, like the report that they do in NRL? Um, you know, it's just so deflating. And it's <laughs> it so, is. It's like, a... you just like, uh, I mean, Jack's right. You just sit there watching the replay. It's like, get on with it. Um, yeah. It's not clear and obvious, you know. Yeah, it's look. All the alternative is is doing what Drew Mitchell suggests and have the have the refs have to explain themselves after the game, which I think we're all in agreement is a isn't a very good idea. No. <laughs> look, it was a bad call. Ben O'Keefe, do better next time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, and and at least we won the game as a um even despite that. Um, let's move on to question three though, because we have been talking about. Uh, you know, the state of things uh, and that we're just as confused as to where we are now. But now we're about to come up in a series against the All Blacks. Um, the All Blacks have come off against, you know, effectively three uh, pretty easy wins uh, with their 102 slacking of Tonga um, and then uh, two wins against Fiji. Um, like, look, I think we, we're going to be realistic going into this. Um, the... It's been 19 years since we've won the blood is low. Um, we've got a really, really, really young squad who's had a, a little limited time together. Um, and you're coming up against a uh, one of the best teams in the world. Well, if not the best. Um, what's the one thing that can give us confidence that will at least put in a, a better performance going into this? Nathan, what do you think? I think what I've got out of this French series is it's, for a long time, we've kind of talked about having this, I've got such good depth coming, coming through the system. We have all these emerging players, like, look how good we're going to be in two years' time. And to be honest, I kind of haven't felt like we delivered on that. Like, it's these guys have been put into these high-pressure games and have either underperformed or have been sort of sucked up by the moment. You look out of that that third test, all of a sudden, McDermott looks like a test starter, uh, despite having, despite the past 12 months, people saying, well, no, he still needs to work on his core skills. He's not a good enough kicker or passer. Lalesio looks like a proper starting fly half for the next decade and a true like true number one kicker. He kicked so well under pressure aside from that that one miss towards the end there. And having someone like Darcy Swain coming through the system, like 
we were saying, I, I think most of our podcast before this was us saying, well, if we're going to bring someone back overseas, we got to go lock. we got to get Skelton. We've got to get Arnold. We've just found one, Darcy Swain, that looks good for the next decade. So I think that's the main thing for me is you've now got these people who you think, right, they, they, they can perform at an international level. Let's see how they, can, how they go against the All Blacks. Let's see how they do. Yeah, I think so. What I'm Nick, do you think that there's a, a potential argument that it, it comes down to just winning, do you reckon? Or or just or the fact that they've kind of shown these flashes of potential, or do you reckon it's a confidence thing? What are your thoughts? <laughs> uh well, you know, we've been showing flashes of potential for the last fifteen years. <laughs> so I'm gonna roll that one out. Um but yeah, it's it's totally it's winning, you know. We came pretty close last year um mm. the first game can't really remember the second game it was a while ago now but um we don't we don't talk about it it was at Eden yeah, Park. yeah i can't i, really, I can't remember <laughs> i don't know that. what that I'm game not, was not joking, i can't it. remember it um yeah, ain't said game as well it was a bit, bit of a blur as well i'm not sure no nah, i don't know what happened there but um yeah, yeah it is about yeah, winning. Good, uh, <laughs> one sort of i guess hopeful silver lining from the, the the average performances against the French is that Rennie sort of has a good idea of what he wants and against the French was not what he wanted. And maybe that was like a, you know, keeping the cards up his sleeve sort of thing. Um, so one thing that's given us confidence is something what I guess Nathan alluded to before was just the ticker um, to beat France with a man down. Um, led by Hooper, of course, who, I mean, it's so my, my invaluable God. having him, you know. When we lost Corabetti, we still had 15 on the field because he does the job of two men. So, yeah. like, so Can we put that argument to bed? Like, anyone that has anything bad to say about Hooper can go walk <laughs> off a pier. Like, get, get, just get the bin. Simple as that. <laughs> like, I will bag Hooper for so many reasons, and he's... he's oh. Anyway. There was a moment where uh, there was a moment where you... one games with him. I'm just saying, they they had him. They they don't go winless. Yeah, yeah, I for sure I agree with that. Yeah, there, there was a there was a moment when I was looking at him playing, and he he kept he, he did a couple a whole bunch of steals, and it was reminded me almost of, of Pocock when Pocock was at his height in the ruck, just complete confidence and trust in his own abilities, which is so invaluable and on top of it you can see that the everyone else in the squad really feeds off him mm-hmm. um did, like what do you think jack do you reckon there's if in the event though that like i worry in the event that Ho- that suddenly hooper is god forbid touch wood struck down with with injury or affected in some way uh how would these players stand up do you think there is still enough ticker in there jack or do you reckon uh, yeah. it's too early to tell uh, he's definitely important piece of the uh the puzzle but yeah as 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 Nathan touched on uh it's been a while since I've actually seen a a series where we've actually tried different um combinations and and new and upcoming players and actually gave them a start and stuck with them throughout the whole series and not chopped and changed and and got scared that we were you know gonna gonna lose lose it so I thought yeah especially uh Noel Alessio giving him the three games to to run the cutter I reckon that'll prove pretty invaluable um, down the road. So all, all these players who have gotten valuable minutes in the jersey and not, you know, 20 minutes, you know, 10 minutes, five minutes off the bench um, and actually played important minutes coming up into this series um, is good. So that's that's one thing. And and probably 
probably that last game actually gave the Wallabies a bit of a blueprint on on how to play. You know, we were forced to, you know, make make good decisions, kick well, take the points when they were on offer. So I think that might be a bit of a, a blueprint going forward against the the All Blacks. Yeah, I'd say so. Look, I was particularly impressed because we we touched on it earlier about the fact that this is a squad that, you know, doesn't have your James O'Connor, doesn't have your Nick White, um, doesn't have a lot of other um, experienced players out there. Um, these young guys were given the chance to actually show their show their stuff and they show that they they've got guts. They got they got ticker, which is really, really positive. Um and that potentially, you know, when those players come back, there's actually a, a situation of competition for positions. Um, which, and I think the fact that Rennie wants to try and go with a pick and stick situation, um, I think is really good. I think that's real. It's like, it's a, it's a positive way to, to go forward, having trust and faith in the players. But I think it was really positive that additionally, he, at the end of that series, he said that the players were, were not where he wanted to be, but they still won anyway. Um, which I think is still really positive. And it's about the idea of setting yourself to a higher standard, um, is, I think extremely positive. Um, who knows? I don't. I. I we, I'm not going to go in with any expectations into this All Black series. I mean, the All Blacks are outstanding. They're one of the, yeah. the best team. One, you know, probably the best team in the world in terms of depth. They might be ranked second, but in our in, in the eyes of many, they're they're still number one. And three nil. Three nil. No, don't you dare. Let's. Are we? Are we? Are we hearing you? Are you going to become the Hugh Cavill of this podcast, Nathan? Always the optimist. Always the optimist, never to be let down. That's what my paycheck says. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, you're on the payroll. I'm I'm not so confident, Nate. I think I think what we need to do is need to stop playing the All Blacks so much. As sad as it sounds, I think you're right there. <laughs> I think we should I think we should make a one-off Bledisloe game on Anzac Day. Winner takes all. Yeah. I'm not against that. I think it's it's interesting you mention, and this is maybe another point. Like the last couple of years, we haven't actually been winning that much. So just a comfort, a shot in the arm. Um, and when you're playing against the All Blacks, you're playing three tests against them in a year. Um, it's hard to win against them at the best of times. How can you string consistency or mm. at least any sense or resemblance of confidence together when you're playing them three times in a row? At least one of those games is at Eden Park, which is yeah. incredibly hard to win at. The one chance is to win at home, um, which is which you know. Do we just play our gold gold tinted glasses, or do we always have to play them at Eden Park first game in the series? We didn't, we didn't last year. No, no last we played them at uh, Eden. No, it was Cake Tin. We played them at. Yeah, it was Wellington. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That was. It just always feels like it's a first up game, impossible game to win, and then that goes the series. <laughs> Maybe I've just been burned too many times. Because we've got to win. The, the main thing is we've got to win. It's a three-game series. We've got to win two. Usually, the first one is in New Zealand. So you're like, well, that's a write-off. And then you, <laughs> when you get back home, you're like, well, we've got to win two in a row. It's yeah. it's, tough. I mean, it's. I, I worked play, out. I don't play them at Eden Park and don't play them at Homebush. <laughs> Just play them at Suncorp. Play Sun- only yeah, Suncorp. Suncorp, Suncorp Perth. <laughs> yeah, Perth. Dunedin was that great game. Remember when? Um, oh yeah, they, yeah. They won just at the end and. Uh, Israel Flowers scored that intercept try really early on. Yeah, that's right. And then, yeah, no, that, oh. there was that one. So, yeah, only play in Perth, only play in Brisbane, and then in New Zealand they can only play in Dunedin. Sounds yeah. good. <laughs> that's good. Easy. I reckon you, NZIU will definitely agree to that. Yeah. Um, 
Anyway, but let's move on. And speaking of the subject of uh, upcoming Bledisloe series, um, we've got the Wallaroos, who finally uh, have will have a couple more tests to play this year. We always love seeing uh, the Wallaroos um, get the chance to play some more games, um, and it's great to see uh, off the back of the really solid Super W competition that we had earlier this year um, with showing that there is a bit more depth to Australian women's rugby at the moment, especially with the with the solid performances of the President's 15 um, and even that select 15, which uh, came through and won their their game at the end of the at the end of the competition. Um, so but even despite that, the, the Wallaroos are still to pick up their first win um, against the Black Ferns, despite the fact that they have been, you know, improving over the last couple of years. Um, Jack, I know you've been kind of doing a bit of coverage on women's sport uh, for rugby.com.au. Yeah. Um, what's the lie of the land here? Do you see uh, them continuing to improve this year and is a win potentially on the cards or what do you think? Um, yeah, yeah, that surprised me that they haven't uh, won. Um, yeah, the Super W was incredible rugby. Um, um, it was great display, and some of those teams are, are awesome. The um, this current uh, Wallaroos squad is predominantly made up of that champion uh, New South Wales Waratahs team. Um, I think it's like you know two thirds of the squad are, are Waratahs players, and that just speaks to their to their uh, talent and their cohesion because they've been around for a couple of years now, and I think they've they've taken out the last three or four. So um, yeah, it'll be exciting. And there's a lot of, a lot of talent in there. So it, it's good that they've finally announced uh, a series because they were going to play Samoa, but then they got canceled and then they, um, you know, the, the, they lost their coach um, in, in suspect circumstances to say the least. So <laughs> it's been a bit of a roller coaster for them during, you know, a truncated super W season. And now, you know, uh, a Wallaroo schedule that's all up in the air. So It'll be too, it'll be tough to uh to get the win over the over the Black Ferns because um the two games are in New Zealand. Yeah. So, um, yeah. But they're they're looking the good so far. Uh, there's a lot of talent, so they can definitely take it to them. Yeah. Look, it's the, there has been a notable improvement over the last couple of years, and I think it's definitely due to the the, the increased investment in the women's game. Um, not just in terms of their def- um their attack being able to score a few more points, but just defending a bit better. So even if they they do go down to the Blackburns, it's not the scores of 60 or 70 points you'd see in previous years. Like the All Blacks would maybe score 30 or or even 28 points. I think they had last year. Um, and that there's a much more concerted defensive effort. Natho, what do you reckon? Do you reckon there's a are you going to be watching this series with interest? I mean, they were going to play a series against Samoa um, as well, which unfortunately had to be postponed. Um, but do you reckon uh, this will do, uh, they'll have a chance to to potentially get some sort of positive or mental win over the Blackburns? Yeah, absolutely. And it's a shame that series is cancelled and hopefully they find another window to sort of reschedule it, hopefully TRC. But, I mean, yeah, look at Super W. Absolutely. There was... Plenty of people that sort of not only stood out as star players, but has that X factor. Someone like a Maya Stewart. I mean, what on the wing, her pace was just incredible. The way she carved up their defense. Um, having those players coming through the system that you look at and go, you know what? Yeah, I reckon they could, if they get the ball, disrupt to the Kiwis. Or you have a New South Wales, that team full of New South Wales players, which is... I mean, great to see a New South Wales team actually winning. Let's, not, let's just not ignore that. <laughs> getting getting a lot of those girls in who are starting to look like they're improving and just 
getting that skills back. And let's face it, that was a wild child's team without um, Kramer as well. Having her back in as well is going to be huge. So I think it's there's some real positives. And I mean, yes, it was a bit of a shortened comp. COVID doesn't help those sort of things. But getting that game time under their belt and then sort of building from that, they, I think they, the appointment for a head coach is underway. So as soon as that can be sort of finalised, the better. But I mean, they can absolutely trouble the Kiwis. Mm. See why yeah. not? Yeah, it's it's also interesting because we're heading into the Women's Rugby World Cup as well um, this year too, uh, which I think actually no, sorry, that's next year next as year, well. Yeah. That's supposed to be this year, but um, sorry, yeah. So it's it's interesting that you know you're. I think Australia, the, the best they've ever finished, or the best that they've ever managed, was uh, was third place in in twenty twenty in twenty ten, um, getting the bronze medal there. Um, but it does bode well as well in terms of getting a, a a good indication of where of where we are, not just in relation to you know uh, to the Black Ferns, but also in terms of the context to where we are globally um because you've got the likes of england and you've also got the likes of um the united states as well um or the likes of even canada who are a really strong uh, women's rugby nation nick what are your what are your thoughts on this uh, do you reckon uh that that there's a chance that this series could be a good precursor to an improved performance at the world cup or do you think it's uh, s- simply a matter of depending what happens when they get the new coach and have that new sense of game plan uh, to be honest, I don't really know what's going on with the Wallaroos. That's all right. Do you want me to throw that question to someone else? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll throw that to you, Jack. Jack, what do you reckon? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it'll be valuable, um, you know, minutes played coming into this World Cup. They don't have a lot of chances, even even in a normal um, pre-COVID world. So, um, yeah, it's really important to get some games under the belt and, and, and get their schedule schedule sorted, you know. The, the the Wallaroos and the Super W and these and these women rugby players are such a valuable asset to you know the, the rugby landscape. It's just hopefully we can get some sort of you know pay pay for them. And uh, I know they get paid for the for the uh, Wallaroos a bit, but um you know that level below the Super W and, and all that that that's a you know a great asset for rugby to tap into. And I hope we you know can retain some of these players throughout the World Cup and and into the future because. You know, there's so much talent on display. It'd be it'd be good to keep them in the game and keep them out of the clutches of AFL and and and, and league. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Um, so that leads us on to our, our last question, talking about uh, world championships and world events. Uh, you may have not noticed, but the uh, the Olympics is about to kick off, and, and in fact, at the time of recording, actually has already tentatively started with the likes of the softball and the and and soccer also starting, but. Uh, the women's the the sevens teams. We're going to talk about what our thought what our thoughts on their chances uh, going into uh, into Tokyo. Um, they kick off. So I think the men's team kicks off on Thursday next week. Um, Mon- uh, Monday. Sorry, Monday rather. Thank you very much. Um, with the women's team, with the women's following shortly after that. Um, guys, I'll throw to you. I'll throw to you first, Nathan. Um, about this. So. I mean, these this men's team looks really, really strong, really positive uh, compared to previous years. Um, and of course, the women's team, one of the best team, uh, one of the best women's sevens teams in the world. What are our chances of at least potentially even pulling a medal uh, in regards to this? Do you reckon there is an opportunity there? I generally think we're like both sides can pull medals if they they perform up to their abilities. I 
think, um, I mean, the women's side, we know how good they are. They've, they've always excelled, and you think they're going to be competing up there with New Zealand for gold, um, especially, yes, Elliot Green's was a tough admission for them, but, I mean, there's still plenty of talent in there. Um, get uh, Men's, I mean, they've kind of, I think they've, they've even admitted themselves, speaking with um, that one of the vice captains, Henry Hutchinson, that they underperformed in Rio, so they've got a real point to prove. And I think they, uh, Tim Walsh has been very clear on this competitive advantage they've had, being able to play New Zealand and Fiji essentially for the past two months. I think that'll really shine through. When you look at the colour of these teams, you, they're not having sort of played the, essentially the top two nations in the world for, what, mm. 12 months, 18 months? Like, mm. Australia has had, it's not near faultless, but they've had such a good sort of run-up into this. You get someone in there like Karevi as well, who will be a real impact player. Yeah, and also as well, I mean... New Zealand's in our pool. If they finish one two, you probably avoid them till the final. Why? Why can't we go get a medal? I say. Mm. It's it is it, look. It is really interesting seeing the, the the potential opportunities available. I reckon the women's team are, are really worth a shot. Additionally, they've got a bit of a point to prove after they got the because they, they got the gold in Rio, but then they they lost out um, at the Commonwealth Games on the Gold Coast and finished with silver, um, which I know was a big. Uh, had a, had a big impact, but I mean to say that they're not—they're still a major competitor is uh, is is an understatement. Um, Nick, what do you think of these teams? Uh, have you had the chance to have a look at them? Um, my um, sevens watching over the last year of COVID's been a bit impacted, but um, <laughs> I think the girls, especially uh, the women's team, I should say, you know, always got a great chance, always um, up there, you know realistically you know women's sevens isn't as competitive as the men's so you know look i think they're a good chance of getting a medal um and if not you know it's either america or canada for them in the women's sevens which would be good you know if they got the good gold medal good for growing the game where is it with the men look you know hopefully karevi karevi comes up trumps um because uh you know, the boys, what, they came seventh yeah. um, in 2019 mm-hmm. um, behind, you know, Samoa and England. And, oh, just, you know, like, I, I hope so. They always, they're a bit like the Wallabies, you know, to go back to the Bledisloe conversation. Always a bit <laughs> disappointing. You know, you know they can turn it on. Like Nathan said, look, if they live up to their potential, awesome, let's do it. But uh, they often don't, um, <laughs> in my eyes anyway. So, look. Hopeful for the boys, girls, I think, you know, yeah, I think we're on for a medal, including bronze, of course. <laughs> yeah. Um, Jack, I know you've you've done a bit of coverage on, on this one as well. I know that you've got Tim Walsh, who's the men's coach, and John Mantini, who's the uh, the the female, the women the women's coach. Um, what do you like about these about these two squads? Who is the players that who's the players that are really standing out for you? Yeah, well, for the for the women's, um, yeah, it's pretty pretty young squad. They've got some some pliers in Faith Nathan and Maddie Ashby and Maddie Levi, um, so they're really exciting. Um, and they got they still got a a mix of those uh, those guys that were in Rio. You know, the Shannon Parrys and the Shani Williams and Charlotte Kazlicks. She's a she's a star. So yeah, it all bodes well um, for the for the men's. Yeah, it's a 
it's an interesting sort of makeup of the squad. I think they've they've drafted in a few players late who have have made the cut and um, Samu Karevi as well. He he'll be interesting to to watch, see how he goes. Um, but yeah, I, I guess going on the going on the form of that Oceania tournament, uh, they were a bit I don't know rusty, and I think they only managed a couple wins over Fiji between the two of them. Um, so, but as as Nathan said. Uh, it's, it's valuable playing those, you know, the New Zealands and the Fijis that are up at the top of the uh, top of the heap. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see, um, exciting, and I think they'll go well. I think medal for sure. We'll see how it shakes up in the in in the pool stages. Yeah, agreed, agreed. It's uh, it's going to be an interesting one to watch, and good that we can we can have some have some more rugby to watch uh, as we wait for that blood is to come up. Um. It'll bring us to the end of it, but uh, to the end of this uh, of this podcast. But we've, before we go, there's also this uh, there's also this thing called the British and Irish Lions Tour of South Africa, uh, which we haven't touched on, which is the next big kind of upcoming uh, rugby event uh, in between now and uh, the Bledisloe. Um, I'll get a last little quick uh, two cents worth from each of you uh, regarding this series and your thoughts on this first upcoming test. So. Tonight we're we're recording this in uh, around nine o'clock, but the squads are scheduled uh, to be named, you know, relative pretty pretty soon. So by the time you're listening to this, the squads will likely be out. Um, Nick, what are your thoughts on this uh, on this series? And do we reckon uh, it'll be a wins for the Lions or wins for the Box? Uh, yeah, um, you know, Lions tour is always great. It's just a pity that this one. Uh, will be at like what 4 a.m. or something for us. So yeah, timing's not good. Um, I, I just think you know South Africa is just so smartly coached. You know, Razi Erasmus has now you know become water boy slash director of rugby there. Um, <laughs> and I don't know if you boys saw him calling out the referee in uh, tweets um, for for a dodgy call against Owen Farrell. Um, <laughs> But uh, I mean, <laughs> uh, the it'll be a great series as always. Um, you know, Squid Rugby has really sort of opened my eyes towards Warren Gatlin's expertise. Um, but you know, yeah, I just think you know South Africa are just such a supreme, uh, supreme team. Um, they'll just have to come out and top. Yeah, it's look, it's it's been interesting and it's been a lot of fun watching watching the banter. Um, I know box fans have been living it up since the uh, the 2019 World Cup final, um, despite the fact that they haven't barely played any rugby since then. Um, but it, it's been interesting how similarly obnoxious the likes of uh, Lions pages like Rugby Onslaught have been uh, ever since this uh, this series has started. So I'm curious to see what sort of concoction will emerge in on the, in the social media world. Natho, what are your what are your thoughts on this series? Do you reckon it's a the Lions will be will be catching some box, or do you reckon the box will be uh, showing the Lions the door? It's so hard to tell. Like it's <laughs> it's one of those things. It's it feels like throughout this series, COVID's been the number one thing that's kind of dominated it. With players <laughs> getting it. I mean, as I was saying off air, Georgian coach is on is in, is in hospital. Essentially, he's been hit that bad with it. So it's almost like who stays fit. Um, <laughs> I. I kind of lean towards South Africa. I'm side with Nick here. I think whenever you look at the Lions tour, that sort of continuity and that cohesion, the whole, the whole, the true Darwin theory, as I like to call it, 
shouting the good work of Ben Doan and all that game line theory stuff. I think that'll really shine through. I, I mean, I think all games are in Cape Town now, so you don't really need to worry about any altitude stuff. But even still, I think South Africa would just be too strong for them. It'll be a great series, but I think it'll be probably probably a 2-1 South Africa win, I'm calling. Mm, interesting, interesting call. 2-1 South Africa. Uh, Jack, final thoughts? Yeah. Well, it's the British and Irish alliance tour is just so special and so unique to rugby. It just gets me hyped every every four years it comes around. I, I'm, <laughs> uh, such a, like such a special tour, especially when they came to New Zealand. That was a great series. But um, usually I'd back my Southern Hemisphere brothers here, but I think the... Uh, I think the South Africans need to be taken down a peg. <laughs> they haven't played in years. They've, they've retained that top spot without even playing. Yeah, I know. It's a bit dodge. <laughs> you know? yeah. So I got a little bit of Irish blood in me as well. So I think I'm going to back the British and Irish Lions 2 1. Oh, 2 1 to the Lions. Damn. Yeah, look, it's going to be a fantastic series. I, I actually, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in a similar position to Nick and Nate, uh, to, to Nick here. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm really not sure who's going to win this. I think it, it initially will come. I reckon it will likely come down to, you know, but firstly, of course, performances on the day, but also I reckon. I mean, the Lions have had some time to gel together. They're playing extremely well. It's just what? How does will South Africa turn up? How will they turn up? Um, they haven't played. I mean, they did get a couple of ga- a game or two against Georgia um, to warm themselves up, which I don't really think you, we can put as a clear indication of exactly the direction they're going or what will be. But I mean, the the level from a step up from that um, for a Lions series is is just much more, and it'll be curious to see if it'll be if they'll be picking up exactly right where, right where they left off after the World Cup final, or if that nearly two years of not playing games together actually comes back to bite them. Um, I'm leaning slightly more towards the Lions in that regard. Um, but, yeah, I, I really can't pick it. I honestly can't. But it's uh, unfortunately, while the series we've got that series to look forward to, it is the end of this podcast here. Um, it's a short and sweet one, we've, and we're paying our rent in regards to keeping in touch with rugby. And we'll make sure that the next drop kickoff will not be uh, a good month in between. Um, we'll, we'll try and get one out before uh, the next Bledisloe, um, and this because there's plenty of rugby to be talking to be talked about. But thank you very much, gentlemen, um, for, uh, for for joining me tonight. It's been a pleasure. Cheers. Absolutely. Thanks for having yeah. us. All right, boys. Thank you very much, guys. And uh, to all of our listeners, be sure to keep a watch on Green and Gold Rugby. Also, check out the Rugby Report Card, boys, and uh, we'll catch you the next time around. Hey, right. But what did go wrong? I'll have to look look and think about it. Think about it deeply, very deeply. Did it hinge in the end on a bit of genius from Sirelli Bombo? A bit of genius, a bit of magic. Sirelli Bombo, very interesting. Very good, yeah. Very good. Three cheers for Sirelli Bombo. Very good, very good. <laughs>